Hello, welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a podcast where I am trying to teach Mika music history. You. Yeah. She's trying to care about it. You. Yeah. And largely failing. You. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the way I sound. I have COVID, so I probably sound kind of stuffy. Same. I feel like you're mostly better. No, I have COVID. Is that why you're talking like that? Yeah, because I have COVID. <laughs> it's your Phoebe Buffet <laughs> sexy, sick voice. <laughs> I miss it. I want it to come back. I'm sure you can get COVID again pretty easily if you want it. Oh, I'm kissing you and you have COVID. I am not getting it again, so. Just got to keep trying. It's just what you say because you want kisses. <laughs> All right. Follow us on social media. Twitter.com slash sound of history underscore. It's the only one we have, basically. Maybe, it's the only one that matters. Maybe you'll see a picture of our cat in a little box. He's in a box. Mika posts it. He looks very cute right it's now. so cute. He's tucked. We put him in the box so he wouldn't get in our, our game box. And now he's just... In the box. We moved him. So Mika might take a picture of that. And you should follow us on Twitter so you can see that. Not because we'll post anything actually relevant to our podcast almost ever. All right. Leave us a rating, review. Let us know what we're doing wrong, what we're doing well, what you like, what you don't like, all that fun stuff. And we can adjust and figure it out. Okay, before we get into probably my favorite episode I've written so far, which I don't want to like hype it up too much because I feel like I hyped up the Beatles one and that was kind of not as good as I wanted it to be. So it might suck, but I really enjoyed writing it. I'm sure it doesn't suck. Before that, Mika is the host now. Mika is a host now. I'm tired. It's a great podcast frame of mind. Staying inside. I've even left because I, I got to go to the gym today. Yeah. You <sighs> went out to a bar last night. It was outside. And it was the end of my seven days, so. I have done nothing for over a week. I don't know why I'm so tired. But I am. I have tiredness. Okay. That's your plug? Tired? No. Hate that. Hate tired. It's your anti-plug? Anti-plug. My plug is mini dill pickles. <laughs> I love them. I want to eat them when I need, you know, when you're tired and you need to eat food to like wake up. No. Oh, well, I guess that's, that's probably a thing. It's just not something I have thought of. Or I do it. And pickles are a good snack for that because it like is salty and it's like really bold and it wakes you up and your brain is like, oh, I can work now. And it's just a crunchy little pickle. It's better than that chips. smiles back. Pickle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so pickles, that's your plug? Yes. What do you think of Harry Styles' album? I liked it. Okay. I have not listened to it, so I, I liked don't know. it a lot. But I just have music for a sushi restaurant like is the only one that plays in my head. That and as it was, but like that doesn't count. Um because I've tried to listen to it like five times and so I keep just starting oh, at the beginning like the and so I've listened to that song at least five times and I like it a lot 
but that's the only one that I really have a lot of opinion on because I've listened to it five times. Any other album you've listened to recently that you like? Just the uh, Judah one that. Yeah, I you talked about been, that one before. Yeah, I've been playing that one still. Um, and some of his like other solo stuff. He has a few really good singles too. Big Judah and the Lion Kick right now. Well, if you like pop punk, State Champs released a very good album a week or so ago. Okay. Listen to that. I also need to listen to AJR because Shannon wants me to. All right. Is that all the plugs? Mika no longer the host now? Mika no longer the host now. Okay. Therapy. (laughs) Mika no longer the host now. (laughs) Do you remember what our last couple episodes have been about? Is it bad if I say no? I mean, kind of. It wasn't that long ago, though. <laughs> Normally, it's what like a few weeks in between one? recordings. This one, it was like we recorded earlier this week. What was the last one we did? The last one we, we did, did was a Sound of Conspiracies. Yes. I remember doing that. And then before that, Elton John. Yes. Do you remember what genre that was in reference to? Soft rock? Good job. So proud of you. Thanks. Do you want to give your brief description of what soft rock is? Rock but soft. (laughs) Is that it? It's like if you're holding a rock, but like it's like a soft, shiny rock. It's still like a big, hard, pointy rock. It's soft rock. (laughs) Okay. Well, I knew we were going to do a bonus episode for soft rock since there are so many different artists that I could talk about. But I wasn't sure who we were going to talk about for a while. I thought about doing a Fleetwood Mac episode, but they don't really seem like exclusively soft rock to me. They had a ton of their success in the later part of the 70s and the 80s, so I kind of wanted to save them for a little bit later. I'm excited for that one, though. So I landed on Billy Joel instead, mostly because I wanted to learn more about Billy Joel through writing the episode. I'm surprised you didn't already know all of it. He's... He's someone who, like, I've listened to a ton of his music, but I haven't really delved into, like, his story a mm-hmm. lot. But since writing this episode, I read a biography about him, so I know a, little, a lot more now than I used to. What do you know about Mr. Joel? He just seems like a chill dude. Okay. Is that it? Good music. Chill dude. All right. This will probably be be a long one but who cares because it's billy (laughs) william martin joel was born on may 9th 1949 in the bronx new york his father howard was an accomplished pianist and also a german jewish holocaust survivor goodness gracious they moved from germany where billy's grandfather had a successful textile business to switzerland to escape the jewish persecution in germany Later, they immigrated to New York by way of Cuba, since immigration quotas for German Jews meant that they couldn't immigrate directly from Germany to the U.S. So they had to go via Cuba. Ridiculous. Yeah. Like, we weren't. Why? Why are we putting a quota on a people group that is being massacred? I that was probably pre pre massacre. 
that's when they need to get out. <laughs> that's the most important yeah. time period. But like, it's okay for like Cubans to come in, but we're like done with the Jews. What? Yeah, I don't know. What? I don't, honestly, I don't know how all of this worked. There's probably a lot of Dumb. legal things through it that I don't understand. Because they still got in. They just had to go through Cuba. That's so dumb. But this I, is his parents? His par- His dad, his grandfather on his dad's side had a very successful business. Right. And at that point, it was becoming illegal for Jewish people to own businesses in Germany. Good call. So there was a lot of like news in the press about how Mr. Howard Joel, I think his name was. No, his father's name was Howard. I don't remember his grandfather's name. About how he was like this evil person because he was Jewish. And then like someone bought his business for like 10% of what it was worth. Oh gosh. And then never actually paid him the money. Because nice, you classy. didn't really have to because it was a German person buying it from a Jewish person. The grandfather had no choice. He was basically just like, I have to sell this. And then they tried moving to like a few different areas in Germany and it was just not working out. So they fled so to awful. Cuba. And at that time, a lot of people were going through Cuba. So there was like people would be on the boat outside of Cuba and not able to like get off the boat. So they're family would like row out to the boat and wave at them from the boats it was like it was rough oh my goodness. rough times billy has said that neither of his parents would ever really talk about world war ii and it wasn't until much later that he learned his father's family's history goodness which like i can't really blame them for not really wanting to talk about that part at the age of one the family moved to oyster bay a suburb of long island new york <laughs> at the age of four Billy reluctantly agreed to start taking piano lessons from some really great piano teachers. He was apparently pretty good, even though he wasn't super interested in it. He told a story about, like, he would be taking the lessons. He would go to the lesson. The teacher would give him the music to, like, learn and practice at home. And he would go home, and he would just kind of, like, start improvising and start playing things that sounded good to him. (laughs) And, like, his mom was like this sounds great like you're doing great that's hilarious but then he would go back to the lessons and the teacher would be like okay play what you've practiced and he'd be like oh crap like i don't know the song she gave me i've just been playing what i wanted that's funny so he would try and play it for the teacher and it was just bad because he hadn't practiced that piece right. and he was trying to play it and it's just like dude 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 the teacher got so he's like you're gonna have to apply yourself you're gonna have to like oh try goodness. to learn more. it was just funny like that sounded a lot like yeah yeah of course he would do that As a teenager, he started to rebel a bit. He joined a few teenage street gangs and started an amateur boxing career as a welterweight. I don't know what that means. It's like lightweight, essentially. Like not featherweight, I think, is the lightest. I think welterweight is about, I don't know. What's a welter? I don't know. Welterweight. Like featherweight makes sense. I I don't know. Walt. Walter. 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 Wait. That's not even a word. He has also said that he started learning how to fight and box because the piano lessons happened to be in the same building as uh, ballerina classes. So he would be made fun of a lot for going to ballerina oh. lessons. So he had to learn to fight back. Oh. <laughs> he won 22 fights, but quit soon after he broke his nose in his 24th fight. 
He would continue fighting and studying music for most of his teenage years, until 1964 when he was 15 and he saw the Beatles perform on Ed Sullivan. It was after that performance that he decided to dedicate his life to being a professional musician. <laughs> so he started trying to find a local Long Island band to join. He said, quote, that one performance changed my life. Up to that moment, I'd never considered playing rock as a career. And when I saw four guys who didn't look like they'd come out of the Hollywood star mill, who played their own songs and instruments, and especially because you could see this look in John Lennon's face, I said, I know these guys. I can relate to these guys. I am these guys. That's cool. This is what I'm going to do. Play in a rock band. End quote. That's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Because like we talked about that. We talked mm-hmm. about their performance. And now, now we're talking about what it influenced. That's awesome. In 1957, his parents divorced. And his dad, who always hated living in America, moved back to Europe and settled in Vienna, where he remarried and had another son. Billy was a pretty decent student, but he was playing piano in clubs and bars at night to help support his mom and his sister. So he was up really late one night playing in the bars, and he missed a crucial English exam the next morning. Mm. So he didn't have enough credits to graduate with his class. Instead of taking summer classes and graduating late, he decided to just drop out and focus on music. He said, quote, if I'm not going to Columbia University, I'm going to Columbia Records, and you don't need a high school diploma over there. End quote. <laughs> How are you feeling about Billy so far? I like him. <laughs> That's it? That's all you got? Yeah. Around this time, he became a part of a local band called The Echoes that specialized in covering British invasion songs. That's perfect. Yeah. That's right around right, right what he wants to do. The group actually got a little bit of local popularity, which encouraged him to drop out of school to pursue music as a career. While a member of the Echoes and only 16 years old, he started to work as a session musician, playing piano on a few well-known tracks, including this one by the Sean... I don't think that's... Sean Connolly Band. I think it's the Shangri-Las, but I misspelled it. Called Leader of the Pack. I spelled it Sean Relass, and I don't think that's right. But it's called Leader of the Pack. There's a little bit of debate... He doesn't remember if he played on the demo version or on the actual studio released version. So it, this might not be him, but he played on this song. Is she really going out with him? Oh, there she is. Let's ask This her. is a song my mom Betty, is that Jimmy's ring you're wearing? Mm-hmm. Might still love her. Gee, it must be great riding with him. Is he picking you up after school today? playing as a session musician i like it can you imagine being like a 16 year old person just playing in these studios for like professional musicians like that had to be crazy those girls looked pretty young yeah they probably were the echoes were also recording around this time with the same producer who did that song who was a guy named shadow morton and his studio was karma sutra productions uh i'm smelling douchebag from (laughs) Years in the future. Yeah. 
The Echoes changed their name a couple of times to the Emeralds and the Lost Souls, but Billy left the group in 1967 to join a different Long Island-based band called the Hassles. What are you feeling about these names? They're pretty average. Okay. Nothing standing out? Not not really. All right. Nothing great. It's not the it's worst not terrible, thing I've though. ever heard, but they're not creative. The Hassles already had a deal with United Artist Recordings. It's probably just a small local label. Mm. They would release two albums that were both commercial failures before disbanding in 1969. Good. Cool. Here's a song by the Hassles called I Hear Voices. I didn't realize he was in so many bands. Yeah. Just wait. My favorite band I think is coming out. I love the music No, I don't think he was there. I think that's Billy. I don't think he was the lead singer at this point. And his voice doesn't look like it should come out of that child's body. You can't even see him back there. This is an awful camera angle. High quality production we're dealing with here. All right, well, Children. that's the Echoes. No, the Hassles, sorry. I hear voices. When the group disbanded, Billy and the drummer for the group named John Small started a proto-metal organ and drums band oh called Attila. It was that's a, good. That's a good name. Yeah. It was a heavy psychedelic sound that they achieved through numerous effects pedals on Billy's organ. The band released one album in 1970 that completely bombed, and then the duo broke up. Partly because of the bad sales, but mostly because Billy started an affair with John's wife. <laughs> God. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll kill an artistic endeavor. You ready to hear Billy's metal band? I'm so ready. Is this one your favorite? Yes. This is so ridiculous. This is the first song from that album. There might have been a second guitar, I don't know. It really does. This sounds like a guitar. It's gotta be an electric yeah. guitar. That's, that's, that's good. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> he looks like um looks like a tail. I can't just thought the name is Nino Montoya. You killed my father prepared to die. That is exactly the hair in the mustache situation. That's Attila. Except for I think that this hair might be bigger. How'd you feel about Attila? I actually was digging it. I didn't think it's as bad as a lot of people said it was. It's not. It's better than I hear voices. Yeah. Most Many critics call this album the worst rock album ever made. But okay. I think that's an exaggeration. <laughs> There's been a lot of bad indie rock yeah. albums made. It's not the best, but I mean, it isn't. It isn't the worst. Maybe the other songs are. Yeah, that's true. They probably opened with a yeah, with a strong one. 
According to Billy, John, the drummer, went on to be a very successful video producer and director. Billy, I'm sorry. How, are they still in touch? Yes. Is he still in touch with the wife? Like, well, yeah. What? Well, okay. Billy would later marry John's ex-wife, who he had oh an my. affair with. In a 1994 Q&A session, he said that he and John were still very good friends. "Quote: Because we share an ex-wife, we have very good stories to swap." End oh quote. my gosh! That was a whole big th- there. John and his wife were kind of on the rocks and Billy thought that they were separated and that John knew about it because like they lived together. John, his wife and Billy lived together. Oh my God. So Billy thought John was in on it like he knew what was happening. But apparently Billy left a concert early with Attila. He left one of their shows early and John was like, where'd he go? And then he went home and he found them together and he like freaked out. Yeah. And then that like really tore Billy up. He felt very guilty about it because he was like, I didn't know. Like, I thought you knew. Like, I thought this was just Why a thing. Why did he think that he knew? I don't know. He just thought he did. Uh, that is wild. Like, even if he did know, like, uh, yeah. uh. <laughs> they also, John and that wife had a son together. So Billy had like a little stepson when they got married oh and they my. later, I think we talked, I don't know how so deep we So three of them it. and the baby all lived together? I think so. Oh, wow. But they eventually, Billy and that wife would move to California and with the son and John had no idea they were moving. So it kind of felt a little bit like a kidnapping. And I really feel like they've screwed John over a several little bit, times. Yeah. They had to get like a private investigator involved to find him. And oh Billy was God. like, again, Billy was like, I thought she told you. I didn't know this was a big <sighs> secret. So it was a whole big ordeal. Billy. <laughs> so after Attila broke no. up. Billy entered a period of deep depression for several months. He worked a few odd jobs as a music critic for a magazine and as a session player for Jingles. Eventually, he attempted suicide by drinking a bottle of furniture polish. I did not know that. Yeah. After that failed attempt, he checked himself into a psychiatric hospital where he received treatment for his depression. Mm. Talking about it later, Billy said, quote, I just figured the world didn't need another failed musician. You take yourself so seriously. You've got your head so far up your butt, you can't see straight. End quote. He said it was kind of a funny accident that the attempt didn't work. He said, what? quote, I was just looking for poison. I looked in my mother's closet and there was bleach and it had the skull and crossbones. And then there was furniture polish. At the time, I thought, well, the furniture polish will probably taste better than the bleach. So I'll drink the furniture polish. All I ended up doing was farting furniture polish for a couple of days. End quote. So he could have drunk the bleach instead, and then it probably would have worked. Yeah, he's like, he has a history of dealing with like depression and mental health stuff for a while. So he's been pretty open about it, which is cool. You good? (laughs) Shocked. (laughs) After recovering from that episode, he signed a solo deal with Family Productions. The contract actually had a clause in it that made Billy signed to the label for life. What? Billy didn't know about that when he signed, and it would haunt him for years. I hate sneezy people. The producer who worked with him on his debut album put something like $450,000 into developing him and the album. This producer actually started working with Billy after Michael Lang. Do you remember Michael Lang? No. He was one of the creators of Woodstock, handed him over. Oh, okay. He, like, 
Michael Lang gave Billy to this producer to work with and develop. Was Michael Lang the one who thought they knew about um, music concerts? No, I think he was, was the one. He one who, of the assholes. He was one of the two who had actually had music experience. Like okay. he was one. He worked on like the Miami festival before okay. doing Woodstock. Okay, so he wasn't one of like the New York no what? finance bros. Oh. No. <laughs> The album that they worked on was mastered at too high of a speed and was a commercial disaster. Billy that seems like an easy thing to not do. <laughs> yeah, you'd think. Like, it was just that... like it was kind of high pitched because it was too high. It was too fast. Yeah, it's like when we play the records mm-hmm. too fast. Except like, not that... quite that bad. Like it was just a little bit. That really seems like um something that they maybe should have. Like that seems like a yeah. rookie mistake. Yeah, I feel like you should to catch ruin that. everything. Billy abruptly changed ways from Attila and positioned himself as a sensitive singer-songwriter. He went on to tour to support a few big acts like the Beach Boys. Although his performances were very well-reviewed, Billy was really unhappy with the quality of his album and his shows. I'd be unhappy with the quality of my (laughs) album, too. I'd be mad. Yeah, I think he also didn't love the songs on it. Financial difficulties within family productions stopped him from making another album as soon as he would have liked An executive for Columbia Records heard Billy's music and really liked it after he moved to Los Angeles in 1972. Whenever he moved, one of his songs, uh, Captain Jack, started to get, like, really popular on, like, college radio stations. So one of the executives heard that song that way. Mm. It still wasn't, like, a hit, but it was, like, kind of like a little cult hit. Yeah. While in L.A., Billy spent half a year playing piano in a bar called The Executive Room under the, named, under the name Bill Martin. Piano Man. That's where he wrote the song Piano Man about the bar's patrons that he saw while he was playing there. Even though he had a contract with Columbia, he was still bound to family productions, so Columbia had to pay them 25 cents for every album that Columbia sold. So, weird. How much is that, I wonder? Probably a lot. If you sell a million albums, that's... I don't know. I can't do math. 250? I guess, yeah. But I think he probably sold more than a million on some of them. In 1973, Billy released Piano Man through Columbia to modest success, but it did feature the song Piano Man, which became his signature track and would close his shows, of which there were a ton during this time. What? Billy Joel's doing a ton of shows? <laughs> yeah, right? That doesn't make sense. All right. I mean, I know I know we've all heard it, but we have to play Piano Man. It's the Billy Joel episode. So here is Piano Man. It's just cool that it's basically a true story. Like, that's cool. Yeah. No, don't do that because I have to line it up and add it. <laughs> Oh, I can't sing along with it? No, because I'll have to line it up. I don't want to do that. It's nine o'clock on a Saturday. I I can't. I don't know why you're showing this to me and you don't want me to sing along. (laughs) Someone at a Q&A session asked him to to go over the lyrics of this song. And he was like, okay. And then he was like... Well, I used to work at a piano bar, and there was there was a bar bar per, there was a bartender who would give me a few drinks. So like, he just basically <laughs> described like, the song. Like, the lyrics. It's the song. I'm not really sure how 
also says they can love this tonic in general as a little bit of poetic license. <laughs> it's like a, that probably would be very awkward he's actually doing it. The we all know what it, like we all know what that means. Why yeah. does this song ever have to be explained? Uh, the waitress is his wife. The waitress who was practicing politics. That's his wife, apparently, because she was a waitress at the same piano bar. Sing us a song tonight. And he also gave like an expose about like people would say, "Play this song." I have no idea what that song is, but I've learned that if you play the same chords in a similar way, people will be like, "Yeah, that's it." Like, like uh, so many songs just sound like vaguely like the one they want. So that's the like play me a memory. I'm not really sure how it goes. Is that that one? Now John at the bar is a friend of mine. He gets me my drinks for free, and he's quick with a joke or to light up your smoke. But there's some place that he'd rather be. He says, Bill, I believe All right, that's piano man. Billy has said that he doesn't understand the success of that song. He says the piano melody is super repetitive and not the most fun to play. He said that the lyrics are basically limericks, though they tell a pretty cool story. The song eventually made it to the top 40, becoming his first hit, and the album peaked at number 27. By the end of 1974, he released his second album with Columbia called Street Life Serenade, which peaked at number 35 on the charts. Its single, The Entertainer, didn't do quite as well, but was still a minor hit. Many of the songs on that album reflected his growing disillusionment with Hollywood and the entertainment business. In The Entertainer, he sings about his frustration that Piano Man was cut down for radio play by saying, if you're going to have a hit, you got to make it fit, so they cut it down to 305. That's a good line. Yeah. That's the one where, at his concert, he said he was always complaining about something. Because first in Piano Man, he was complaining about not having a hit. And then the entertainer, or not having a label deal. And the entertainer, he's like, then I was complaining about having a record deal. (laughs) That was a great, that was a great quote. Yeah. I'm always bitching about something. (laughs) Fed up with LA, Billy returned to New York City in 1975 and began working on his next album. He originally recorded the album with members of Elton John's band, but he didn't like the result. So he scrapped it and started over with musicians that he handpicked. With songs like Say Goodbye to Hollywood and New York State of Mind, the album, called Turnstiles, celebrated his return home. But the album failed to chart. How? Well, it only reached 122. How? It's wild. Billy knew that his next album would make or break his career. He couldn't keep scraping by with mediocre success. He needed hits or the label would drop him. So in 1977, he got to work for his third Columbia album. He met a new producer named Phil Ramone, who he would work with for many albums after this. He released The Stranger, which hit number two in the charts and became, there Colum- we go. And became Columbia's highest selling album at that time. Mm-hmm. It's probably not anymore. All four singles reached the top ten. He demanded to record the album with his touring band because he hated the polished sound of session musicians. (laughs) And he had played so many shows with his touring band. He was like, we know each other. We know how it sounds supposed to go. Yeah. And I think he turned down working with the Beatles star, like George Martin, the Beatles legendary producer. He was supposed to be the producer on this album. Yeah. And George, like, 
wanted Elton's band again. And Billy was like, no, I don't want to do that. So like he turned down working with the Beatles producer wow. to like stick to his guns of working with his touring band. I guess it worked out for him. Yeah, it went pretty well. One song, Just the Way You Are, inspired by his first wife, John's ex-wife, won two Grammys. He wrote Only the Good Die Young while in Knoxville, opening up for the Beach Boys. Shut up, really? <laughs> yeah. It's inspired by a Catholic girl Billy had a crush on in high school. He saw her watching him play with the Echoes. The song was actually banned in a lot of places because it was seen as anti-Catholic. Interesting. Though Billy said that it was more pro-lust than anti-Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> but he was fine with them banning it because it only made it more popular. Yeah, that makes sense. He also said that he got a letter from the former lead singer of the Hassles, who had become, in his words, a Jesus freak, who was very upset about the song. So here is Only the Good Die Young. go i feel like this is uh yeah. i agree it's a little bit more pro-lust i never heard no one so come on virginia show me a sign send up a signal i'll throw you the line all right that's only the good die young only the good die young only the good die young burn 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 there i've really debated on which one of my which one of his albums is my favorite? Mm-hmm. I think it's probably The Stranger. I think that's the only one of his albums that I like. I love every song on it. Like that's one of my no skip albums. Like I'll listen okay. to the whole thing. But some of my favorite songs of his are on are on other albums. So I don't know. His next album, Fifty Second Street, spent over eight weeks at number one. Around this time, as a birthday present. The president of Columbia Records bought off Billy's old family production contract Aww. and bought back the rights to all of his recordings. Apparently, so that Columbia had them or I Billy? Think, I think for all of his like pre-Columbia stuff, Billy had the rights to it. Okay. There, there were just no hits on that. So, I'm not sure who this uh, gift benefited more. Yeah. Apparently, he had to threaten the family production CEO to get the deal done. Like, had to physically nice. threaten him. In 1980, Billy released his Harder Edge album that was a response to the punk and new wave movement that was sweeping across the country. It stayed at number one for six weeks and spawned four top 40 singles. Before this album, critics had started to call him a soft rocker and a balladeer, which he didn't think was fair. So this was to show them that he could still play rock music. I like it. He wrote a slow song on this album that was inspired by a Beatles song. He said that when he was younger, 
He wrote the Beatles a letter asking them for advice on how to get started in the industry. Do you think the Beatles responded to him? I don't. They don't seem like the type that would... They also seem like the type who would get millions of letters a year. So mm. <laughs> it's probably hard to... But they sent him a pamphlet about Beatles merchandise that he could buy. That's, yeah, great. So inspired by that event, later in his career, Billy started to do Q&A sessions around the world where people could ask him questions about the music industry. I love that. It was mostly on like college campuses. I'm pretty sure he did one at Vanderbilt. And it was so cool. Like mostly open just to like music business students to just mm-hmm. kind of ask him whatever they want. And then there was one that went viral of a kid asking to play New York State of Mind with him. And Billy was like, yeah, sure. Come on up. So he came Aww. up and like on his way up. Billy was like, what key do you want to play it in? And the kid asked him, what key do you want to sing it in? <laughs> and so <laughs> Billy was like. All right, that's guts. And just like told him the key, and they played it, and it was great. That's a, that's cool. The song "It's Still Rock and Roll to Me" became his first ever number one hit, which is wild. Wow. It's basically saying how the new music styles are just rehashes of the old stuff. Here is "It's Still Rock and Roll." Kinda, yeah. What's the matter with the clothes? Can't you tell that your tie's too wide? Well, maybe I should buy some old tab collars. Welcome back to the age of jive. Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress trash until you spend a lot of money. Everybody's talking about the new sound, funny, but it's still rock and roll to me. Also, Billy notoriously hated music videos. No, I can't tell. He's probably better with this one where it's just him performing the ones where he had to like, try and act a little bit or whatever. He just, It's still rock and roll to me. His next album was a live album that focused on music before his rise to superstardom in 1977. In 1982, he suffered a terrible motorcycle accident that required surgery to fix his wrist, Hmm. which probably was very scary. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, not a big fan of the motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, especially like as someone who has made a living as a piano Musician. player. Oh, I didn't even to think To break about your that. wrist, like that's, that's probably very tough. Yeah. He also divorced Elizabeth, his first wife. So this is a rough time for him. Yeah. Elizabeth was also his manager at the time and was making some not great, she was making a lot of enemies with the way she handled stuff. Interesting. He released a concept album about the experience of baby boomers that was basically a flop, but he released a more doo-wop slash pop album called An Innocent Man in 1983 that returned him to bestseller status. Many of the songs, many of the top songs on the album, like Uptown Girl, The Longest Time, and Tell Her About It, 
were inspired by model Christy Brinkley, who was engaged to Billy at the time. Do you know anything about this relationship? I know that it didn't end up too great, hence why he doesn't play. It didn't end as badly as I thought it would, honestly. They met while they were both vacationing in the Caribbean. Billy tried to impress her. He said, quote, I tried to look like me on an album cover. I gave, hmm. I gave it every angle I could. Quote, end quote. So it, he just stood there voguing, like yeah. trying to get her attention? He was basically trying to like remind, like make her see that, like it remind her of who he was. Like, like this is oh what God. I look like on The Stranger. <laughs> oh my God. It didn't work. And he said that one... He looked so dumb. I yeah. wish I could have seen that. He was... He said he just like went and was just like hanging out on the beach for a while. And then he got up and he just went to a bar on the island. And it was a piano bar. So he saw the piano and just started playing. And then Christy came in. And she sat down and started singing with him. That's adorable. He... Originally, he was like, all right, like this is... But she said that he just looked like a little lobster because he was burned from <laughs> sitting in the sun all day, just like oh playing his God. piano and his like little, probably like tank top or whatever. Oh like, my God. He did not look impressive. Oh my goodness. Uh, also, I'm going to have to go off script here a little bit because I think some of the script is wrong based on the biography I read. Interesting. Because um, also at the same time, another model named L. McPherson was on the island with Christy and they like both saw him at the piano bar. And at the time Christy was engaged to someone else, like a billionaire guy. What is it with Billy and stealing people's women? So Billy said that like, while he was sitting there, he heard that she was engaged and he was like, in his mind, he switched and he was like, okay, well obviously that's not going to happen. So he switched his attention to L McPherson. Yeah. Who you probably know best as Joey's hot roommate and friends. No way! Yeah, that's Elle McPherson. Shut up. She's like an Australian actress, I think, or an Australian model. So once they left the island, he started dating Elle instead of Christy. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she was actually living with him in New York. But then he said he actually wrote Uptown Girl about Elle McPherson, but... It was probably also about Christy. I don't know. Interesting. He, uh, I'm going way off script here, so this is just off memory. But he said that while he was dating Elle, it kind of reached a point where, like, they were walking together in, he took her to, like, Coney Island or something stupid like that. How romantic. And they were walking together, and he realized that they were just, like, at different points. Like, Elle was just starting her career. So she was like modeling, you're going to be going all over the world. You're going to be yeah. going to do different things, different shoots. Like, And he's like, I didn't want to hold her back by being tied to this relationship. So he just like, as they were walking, he realized this has an expiration date. Like this isn't going to last because mm-hmm. she's needs to focus on her career if she's going to like take it to a good place. So that's where he wrote the song, So It Goes, about that. Really? Because he realized like this is going to end. I'm going to try and enjoy it while it's here, but it's going to end. And then she left. She went to Europe for a shoot for like six months or something. And they kind of both saw that as like the end of the relationship. Mm. And while that happened, Christy Brinkley's fiance, unfortunately, passed away in a very bad race car accident. Dude. 
And so Billy just got back in touch with her, like, as a friend, like, offering to, like, be there for her, help her out, support her, whatever. And then over the months, they started getting closer, and they started going, like, little dates together. Until one time, they were on, like, one of their first dates, and he took her back to his apartment. And little did he know, Elle was back in town. No. And didn't know where to stay. No. So she came to his apartment. Oh, my to God. To sleep, there, like, to just stay there while she was in town. So Billy brings Christy back up to this apartment, and mm-hmm. Elle is there, and he's like, oh, boy. <laughs> what, what do I do here? Apparently, Christy was very understanding. Like, they weren't exclusive at that point anyway, but, like, Elle didn't. They weren't. I'm sure Elle didn't realize that he had yeah, started dating her friend. Probably not. But Billy was like. All I kept thinking about was, like, if I was Frank Sinatra, I could turn this into the greatest night of my life. <laughs> but I'm not. So and that's ended, a good thing. Ended up leaving with, like, they both left. <laughs> She's like, maybe I'll stay with you instead, Christy. <laughs> but anyway, he cast Christy to star in the music video for Uptown Girl. And she came over to his apartment to teach him how to dance for the video, even though they both hated dancing. And according to some people, that's how their relationship like really got started, was that little one-on-one time. So here's the video for Uptown Girl. I never watched this. It's a good one. I mean, good. Not, it's not like a work of art, but like, it's a good thing. I wish that mechanic shops were like this. <laughs> Good dancing. Yeah. I think they kind of gave up on elaborate dance moves with him. Look at him biting his whole fist. <laughs> that was awesome. Right, that's Uptown Girl. <laughs> that was amazing. Also, apparently, before he got with Christy, he was really enjoying being a single pop star for the first time. Like, he was just dating a lot of models. Because like, he was married for his whole, like, come yeah. up. So, like, the first time he was like, oh, people care that I, like, have number one albums. That's oh fun. Oh, my goodness. Billy was kind of obsessed with his image at this time. And he wanted to be seen with Christy to kind of show off at, like, a what he could get kind of thing. I but, mean, yeah, I'd want to show her off, too. Yeah. But he <laughs> Either al- of them. <laughs> But he also seemed madly in love with her and would vehemently defend her against the press who wanted to paint her as kind of like a dumb blonde or a vain supermodel all the time. Mm. They would eventually divorce in 1994 due to Billy's exhausting touring schedule and Christy wanting to live in L.A. At least that's what I saw. I don't know the real reason. Mm -hmm. Here is the song Tell Her About It, which is a song he supposedly wrote about Christy. And it's apt because at least according to what Christy said after their split, just because you're a good writer doesn't mean you're good at communicating. <laughs> <laughs> we 
we already knew that he was a shit communicator. <laughs> yeah. He literally like like had an affair with someone's wife because he yeah. was just like, oh, they know. Now, right here yeah. on our stage. And then kidnapped the kid because he's like, no, they know. He's yeah. an awful communicator. We've known this. Yeah. I just also think he's probably not super in touch with his emotions. Like the only in touch with his emotions he gets is to write songs. And then he kind of moves on. was also one of the first artists to really utilize the video format and he'd make clips and videos specifically for MTV which helped him stay popular. Originally he thought of greatest hits albums as making the end as marking the end of someone's career, but he agreed to do one and released it in 1985 featuring two new songs that both broke the top 40. His next album in 1986 called The Bridge did not do that well commercially. He has stated that he doesn't think that album is good. It was the last album that he did with the producer Ramon. I think Phil Ramon, I think that was his name. Mm. That produced The Stranger and all the albums since. Mm -hmm. And it was the last album that bore the family production's mark on it. Which is wild that it lasted this long. Yeah. In 1989, he was forced to fire and sue his manager, who was his former brother-in-law. He really needs to stop giving these management positions to family yeah. members. This was his first wife's brother, too. Not even Christie's brother. <laughs> his first wife's brother. That's what I figured, actually. Yeah. And he said that he trusted him implicitly because he took Billy's side against his own, like, mm. against his sister. Mm. And when Christie started to say, like, I think things aren't right with this dude, Billy was like, no, you can't. Like, I trust him completely. He was, Billy's a very trusting guy. He like, if you get in his good side, he will believe in you and trust you implicitly. But discrepancies were found in his finances, so he fired and eventually had to sue him. He also shook up his band, bringing in new faces, and he worked with a new producer. The result was an album called Stormfront in 1989, which was his first number one album in nine years, and it featured the song We Didn't Start the Fire. That also hit number one, which was only his third song to do so. That's really wild that, that we didn't start the fire. It was one of the number yeah. ones. <laughs> it featured the song And So It Goes, which Billy has said since is his favorite song that he's ever written. I really, that's one of my yeah. top two. I love it. And So It Goes was written in 1983, but didn't fit any of the previous albums until Stormfront. He wrote the song, as we've already talked about, about his doomed relationship with Elle McPherson. In case you haven't heard it, here is And So It Goes. 
I think he said it's this and scenes from Italian restaurant are two of his favorite songs he's ever written. This one's just so beautiful. Like even just the yes, piano part. Like that somehow holds so much motion. To heal the wounds from lovers past until a new one comes along. I spoke to you in cautious tones. You answered me with no pretense, and still I feel. So it goes. In 1993, Billy released River of Dreams, which was his last album to date. Probably his last ever. I don't see him releasing another album. The song River of Dreams became the last top 40 hit that he wrote. After this album, he entered legacy status and stopped writing songs. He said about that decision, quote, People can say I'm coasting, but I stopped wanting to write songs. It took a toll on me. Your personal life goes to hell in a handcart because you're in a cave. All you're doing is thinking about songs in your own hell. I hate writing, but I love having written. I just stopped wanting to do it. End quote. It's a good reason to yeah, stop. It's fair. Billy started to tour with Elton John. They did a series of face-to-face dates that made them the highest-selling tandem touring musicians in history. They did one tour in 2003 and then did it again in 2009. The press said that they had dates scheduled for 2010 that Billy canceled, but he denied it and said that he had always planned on taking 2010 off. But he left it open to do more with Elton, saying that he always enjoyed doing those shows. He did get a double hip replacement after their last tour, so that's probably why he wanted some time off. Probably. Also, Elton has been... It's like Elton is trying to start a beef with Billy, and Billy's like, I don't care. Like, Elton is trying to, like encourage him to do more writing and put more albums out and do tours and Billy's like no like I'm fine like Elton's like why aren't you doing stuff and Billy's like why are you doing so much (laughs) just like this tension still what an amazing show to see I'm sure loved it in 2006 he began a tour across the U.S. having not released any new music for 13 years He sold out Madison Square Garden 12 times over several months. So, 
Madison Square Garden retired the number 12, and it's the first number retired because of a non-athlete. Like, you know about that, like, athletes have their numbers retired Mm -hmm. if they're, like, super legendary. Mm -hmm. This is the first time that a non-athlete had a number retired. He has continued to write a couple of songs in the past decades, but normally other artists will perform them, and a lot of them are more, like, orchestral, classical Mm -hmm. music type stuff, like, not lyrics. In 2014, he announced a residency at Madison Square Garden, playing one concert a month for as long as he wants to do it, (laughs) which is wild. Yeah. Throughout the years, Billy, like almost everyone we talk about, has struggled with substance abuse. His main struggle was alcohol. He's been to rehab twice, but he hasn't completely quit drinking. In 2014, he said, quote, I have a glass of wine once in a while, and I don't hide it. I have a glass of wine with a meal, end quote. He said his drinking problems came come sporadically when he is in the midst of a breakup or something. Not totally unexpected for someone with depression. Yeah, I was like, that. yeah, I, yeah. Th- I think that's most of us. <laughs> he said that he used booze as a medication. He had a series of car accidents that preceded him going to rehab, but he says that none of them were alcohol-related and that he's never had a DUI. And also, to be fair, the... the Accidents just kind of seem like one, the road was wet and he just skidded into a house. Yeah. One, I don't remember, but like they're, they're not alcohol related. They okay. were just car accidents. But the fact that they like happened close together and then he went to rehab, people speculated. That's got to be so annoying. Yeah. That's got to be so annoying to have any sort of thing that you're working on for your own health and well-being yeah. and like self-improvement and then just to have everyone like beat you down with it like yeah. i i don't i don't care like that's just that's gotta be so awful it's another thing that elton was because like elton also was had substance abuse issues and went to rehab and got clean and elton has always said that billy isn't taking it seriously and like he's going to very weak rehabs that don't require much and like oh, all that stop it yeah. it's not your story my guy yeah in 2003 he got married again to a chef named Katie Lee. She was 23 and he was 55. Mm. Apparently they, it's kind of like a, a movie for her. She was from like Wisconsin and was visiting New York City and bumped into him in the lobby of a hotel. And just, they kind of just like hit it off. <laughs> Which is Good just wild. Christy Brinkley was at the wedding and she gave her approval to their marriage. Okay, Christy. <laughs> Billy has, it's probably not true, but Billy has also said that, like, he's like, I understand the age difference is weird, but, like, I would still want to marry her if it was the other way. Like, if she was that many years older than me, then she is younger, I would still want to do it, which is like, you can say that, might not be true, but, like, that's what he has but said. Well, why wouldn't it be, I guess? Yeah, I mean, at least he's aware of it. Say. That's a weird thing to just say. Yeah. Like, he's aware of it. He's not trying to, whatever. They separated in 2009, though. He got married again in 2015 to a former Morgan Stanley executive, which is like big stockbroker bank type thing in New York City. They have two children together, and Billy mostly just hangs out at home these days in a mansion near where he grew up. <laughs> That's a dream. He said he's the mansion like overlooks Oyster Bay or some mm-hmm. bay where he used to work as an oyster fisherman in the summers like he would be early mornings on a little oyster boat and he would look up at the house and be like man that's got to be the good life and now he lives in that house that's insane yeah it's insane that the house is that old (laughs) 
He says he doesn't like to have a bunch of staff around because he wants to walk around in his boxers. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he does a lot of stuff himself. Like he cooks a lot. Pasta is his favorite. And his wife apparently does the cleaning. <laughs> he does have a daughter with Christy Brinkley named Alexa Ray, who is also a singer. And she has released a few singles and an EP through indie labels. In 2009, after the breakup of her four-year relationship, she took a large quantity of Tramiel, which has no active ingredient and is essentially impossible to overdose on. But she probably did not know that. She said it was not a suicide attempt. She was just trying to calm herself down during a panic attack. But she was, like, hospitalized for it. Billy did not visit her in the hospital, wanting to avoid a circus environment, but he stayed in constant phone contact. And Billy is, like, he is essentially obsessed with his daughter. Like, he loves mm -hmm. her so much. He's always just wanted a family. Like, that's his thing. And that's Billy. As of now, he's still playing Madison Square Garden. Still does the odd tour date wherever he wants to do it. We also did not talk about a lot of parts of his story. So feel free to look more into him if you want to. Like, he had a whole big thing with playing in Russia back when he was with Christy. Hmm. What? It's interesting. All right. Do you have any any final thoughts on Billy? It's only an hour, less than an hour with all the editing. I like that he likes pasta and you like pasta. <laughs> and that he walks around in his boxers and you also want to walk <laughs> around in your boxers. Yeah. I think that that is funny. Seems like a very, very down-to-earth guy. Like He's just hanging out, doing his thing. Yeah. I, I respect him, him a lot. Like I respect that like he... He did his career, and then he got to the point where he's like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I've done enough. I'm just, like, I'm ready to just have a chill semi-retirement where, like, I'm still playing. Mm -hmm. And he said that he's going to stop playing Madison Square Garden the second he thinks it's not fun anymore. So, like, that could come any day. But right. he's just having fun, just doing what he wants to do now. And he's like earned that. it, so might as well. And I mean, he definitely, like, he still puts on an amazing show, and it seems like he had fun. It seems yeah. like he enjoys performing with like his friends yeah it's just that's cool it's a way to live man all right anything else no okay i think next episode oh, singer songwriter Ooh. and then we talk about Joni mitchell and then disco gonna need some um clarification on what singer songwriter is it's you're probably not gonna get it you're probably gonna be disappointed really complicated <laughs> It's probably going to be very similar to Sakura. Huh. All right. Join us next time, whenever that is. Goodbye.